Hello and welcome to Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Jake Novak. And once again, we are live. We are live here on the radio and uh, online. And that's so important to the discussion today because I noticed something really interesting over the weekend. Yet another example of how the established news business in America and worldwide has really become too aged and slow and outdated to cover the news and to reach its audience the, say, the way they say they want to. And I realized that this is also a reason why coverage of stories out of Israel are so often unfair and inaccurate. So let me start with necessarily what happened the last couple of days, but I want to talk about what's been going on with the coverage of Israel as we set a precedent for this. And then I will explain what's happened in the last few days in other news stories that have really shown this problem that the news media has and why social media has become so much not just a competitor or a distraction from from uh, from established news but a but a real real threat to its existence first off when you talk about stories from israel let's talk about the stories that get covered from israel now israel is not a large country as we all know and we know it doesn't have a huge population but we do know that there's a massive amount of stories when you think about sections in your newspaper there's a lot of stories where Israel can check off those boxes. Obviously, the political stuff, sometimes military and terrorism stuff, sometimes uh, in, in an increasing amount, any story coming out of the business world, the technology world, the science and, and, and pharmacy, pharmacology wo wo world, um, anything with technology, uh, the cultural world. I mean, Israel just won the, the big Eurovision music contest, which here in the United States, you know, 99 out of 100 Americans have never heard of it, but it's a big deal in Europe. It's a big deal overseas. Israel has won it before. They won it this year again. There are a lot of cultural things coming out of Israel. And of course, last night at the Tony Awards, a musical based on an Israeli movie, The Band's Visit, won the best musical Tony Awards. So, I mean, really, I mean, it's not a stretch to say Israel is a major player in the cultural and arts section of your newspaper, section of your news. So there's a lot of places where Israel checks all these boxes. But when it comes to the main coverage, the coverage that's going to get any real meat on the air or meat in the newspaper, we all know it's going to be about terrorism. It's going to be about the Israeli uh, presence in, in territories like Gaza and the West Bank. We know that that's what's going to get the biggest coverage. Now, for years, even those of us who are trying to be a little bit friendlier to the news media will come across the, that fact and say to ourselves, oh, you know, this this isn't necessarily... Uh, the worst bias in the world, but this does does come from bias. You know, if if hundreds of people are killed in other countries all over the world every day, that's going to be ignored. They're not going to ignore three or four Palestinians being killed, even if they were in a very aggressive mode. They won't ignore it. The news media will make a big deal out of it, and some of that has to be anti-Israel, anti-Semitic bias. And I think people who really staunchly deny that day after day after day, I really have their heads in the clouds. It's just not true. We know that there is a bias involved there. But today I want to talk to you about a different bias that plagues the news business, not only in its Israel coverage, but everywhere else. And again, I'm going to start with where it plagues them in their Israel coverage. There's really no nice way to say this, but there's a way to explain it a little bit more so to take a little bit of the edge off. But let me just say this so that we can all understand. The news media in the West, especially in the United States, is lazy. It's lazy. Now, when I say lazy, like, like I said, I'm going to take the edge off a little bit. When I say lazy, I don't mean they're not willing to work. That they're, I'm not saying they're physically lazy. 
you've got people who wake up at the crack of dawn, who wake up at every hour in the news business. I don't know many, many of my friends when I got into full-time news producing were shocked at the fact that I was coming in to work at 2 a.m. Uh, I have a friend from college and from high school who's gone very far in the legal profession. He's had top government jobs, top private sector jobs, and they wrote a profile about him in a magazine maybe 10 years ago. And the big exciting part of this magazine's profile of him was that there was one time in his career during some kind of an important prosecution that he stayed up all night with some clients. And I just couldn't stop laughing because at that time I was doing morning news and I was always staying up all night. I was going, coming into work at 2 a.m. That's what we do in the news business. So when I say that the American news media is lazy, I don't mean that they're lazy like, oh, they don't grow out of bed and they don't do the physical work. I mean that they're intellectually lazy. They cover stories and they cover aspects and departmental parts of the news the same way every time. And they don't think about breaking the mold very often because that's an intellectual laziness that they suffer from. And boy, does the accuracy of the media's coverage of Israel suffer because of it. When you're dealing with a news media that has a Rolodex full of guests who will come on to either bash Israel, and you know who they are, Hanan Ashrawi, Saeed Barakat, some of the other Palestinians and Palestinian sympathizers who will come on any network at any time, not only will they say the same thing, but they have a wonderful way of filibustering when they talk. They never speak for less than a minute and a half at a time, which is, by the way, an eternity on television or radio news. And you know what they're going to say. And you know what? Look, even the people who we like who defend Israel are in the same Rolodex. Dory Gold, Michael Oren. These guys are great. I like them. I agree with everything they say. But they're the same old people who come on. And boy, is it easy for a news organization, one of those hap hapless producers like I used to be who comes in at 2 a.m. And who knows? I might be doing that again sometime soon. This business is, changes all the time. But that poor guy or gal who came in at 2 a.m., Thank God they've got these names in the Rolodex. Thank God they don't have to reinvent the wheel every day. And they just invite the same old people on every time who we know what they're going to say. And they also will only cover the stories that they can really get their heads around conceptually every day. And that tends to be, unfortunately, stories about terrorism, stories about the Israeli army in, in the territories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, those kinds of stories. And the other stories that come out of Israel, which have, in my opinion, very often much more of an importance for the human, you know, for, for the human race especially the pharma type stories, especially the water and irrigation stories. And from a, a nicer point of view, some of these cultural stories, they're not going to be as covered as well because the news media is too lazy structurally to handle it, to handle that. That's a different story. That's not something that they're used to doing. So they can't do it. And it's not that the argument will tend to be, well, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's a war story or a terrorism story, that's going to get the attention, even if it's really, really important, even if it's a cure for cancer. We can't be sure we're going to get the ratings for it. And to that, I say baloney. Baloney. We, we, we have stories about certain diseases being cured. We have stories about certain major technological breakthroughs. They will get covered. And not only will they get covered, they'll be easier, they'll be easier to get attention. You know, when Israel, for example, the company Mobileye, which has made self-driving cars a possibility and safe, safely, more safe driving for people who are human drivers possible, very, very video intensive stories. Those are cool stories to look at and watch, even if you're not listening to the sound when you're watching them on TV or online. Those are the kinds of stories that get viewers. And you'll be surprised at how many people who have been in the television business their whole life don't understand that their business is visual. The business is visual. One of the people who really understood that more than anyone else I ever worked under, love him or hate him, 
was Roger Ailes, who ran Fox News, passed away a couple of years ago. Roger Ailes understood that 90% of the deal was getting a good looking shot up on the screen. And I'm not just talking about attractive looking anchor women, which was a thing for him, which we know. But he also had a, he has a very attractive looking studio. You turn on that Fox News channel and it looks fresher. It looks more patriotic, a lot of American flags, a lot of good picture window type views of New York City. Not ground level stuff like the other networks, but a little bit of a vista. Good idea. It looks better. This is a visual business, folks. Television. Radio is an oral business. And by oral, A-U-A-R-A-L. I'm talking about, you know, it's about sound. You got to have some interesting sound going on. You got to have a, a, a host saying something interesting and keeping the pace going and not pausing for too long. Those are the kinds of things that we do on radio. And when you have a story coming out of Israel that offers you all those things and you still don't cover it, it's one of two things and sometimes a combination of both. It's the anti-Israel, anti-Semitic bias that we know does exist at some level. And it's also this laziness that I'm talking about. So where did this manifest itself this weekend or the past year? I think the best example, and this is something, a story that I keep hitting over and over again because I was one of the first people to talk about it and write about it. And it is still, to me, the most important story in the Middle East, even more important than some of the other things that have happened, like the Iran deal and the declaration of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel by the United States, the recognition, I should say. To me, the biggest story change has been now more than a year now. It's a year and a quarter, pretty much, ever since we've had this sea change in Saudi Arabia, the new crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, and the changes that he's made, the de facto peace cooperation agreement he's made with Israel, and everything that has changed in the Arab world because of that. Now, I'm not saying the average Arab person in Egypt sitting at home listening to his radio has changed his mind about a bunch of things. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there's been such a major change in the re regime of Saudi Arabia, the leading financial economy and basically the ideological leader of the Sunni Muslim world. And this is a huge, huge change. And the news media still really isn't into it yet. They don't really get it because they have been for so many years locked into Arabs one side, Israelis other, other side, Muslims one side, Jews the other side. And again, I'm not saying this is kumbaya. I'm not saying the, the Sunni Muslims under Saudi Arabia are now friendly friends with the Jews and Israel. I'm not saying that. But the political realities are so different that any story coming out of the Middle East now has to be couched in this context. The context that Saudi Arabia is no longer funding anti-Israeli terrorism directly so much anymore. The fact that Saudi Arabia is deciding that Iran is the number one problem and any partnership they make with Israel is made in that context. Any issue with Israel is going to be made in that context. So when Donald Trump declares that the United States is going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and every news organization in the West, especially in America, predicts widespread rioting, widespread problems, not just in the Palestinian territories, but all over Sunni Islam and all over the Islamic world, they're wrong because they haven't been paying attention to the news. And that's their business, and there is no excuse for that. So this is, again, this is how it manifests itself, and there have been so many stories where that's manifested itself with, with Israel. I think that that's been one big one. And they miss stories because of this, because now that they're not even aware of this big change, they're not aware of the exciting, smaller stories that fit into this new narrative. So, for example, at the end of March, we had a report in a Kuwaiti newspaper that obviously would not have run without Saudi approval, that a few F-35 Israeli jets made it, made it and I've mentioned this on this show before, Nochem Siegel's network, Novak Now, you've heard me say this before, that... Israeli F-35s at the end of March, there are reports, again, never, probably will never be 100% confirmed, but that some F-35s from Israel, stealth fighter jets, the new Lockheed Martin F-35, traveled to and from Israel undetected 
uh, over Tehran. And ever since that story appeared in the Kuwaiti newspaper on March 29th, everything has changed in the Middle East. The Russians have ever since then started to back away ever so slightly from Iran. And don't get me wrong, they're never going to ha- make a complete divorce from Iran. They're never going to completely divorce themselves from Syria. At least I don't think so. But as soon as the Russians seem to believe that there's a good chance that all their anti-aircraft technology that they've given the Iranians and the Syrians doesn't mean a thing because they can't shoot down what they don't see, that's, since then they've been backing off a little bit. That's where they've been saying, hey, we're going to suggest the Iranians get out of the Israelis' way in Syria, which is, which is what's happening. We're going to make sure that the Israelis know we're not in their way. I'm talking about the Russians here in Syria. And so on and so forth. Did you see this? On CNN? Did you see this even on Fox? Did you see this in the New York Times? You didn't see any of this because they are, again, not because they're physically lazy. I think they want to get stories out there. I think they wake up in the morning and try to get stories. But the thing is, they're not aware intellectually of changes because they won't allow themselves to get out of a very lazy mode of their view of the way things are. So you miss that story. Or if you didn't miss it, it's because you worked very hard, much harder than the professional journalists who are supposed to do this for a living. And again, yesterday we had another story that's just not going to be covered anywhere today in the mainstream news media. That is a good story. It's a really interesting story. It's the kind of story that has good visuals that go along with it, kind of story that gets people thinking about international affairs and how we conduct them. And that was Prime Minister Netanyahu making the video yesterday with a big picture of water at his desk about how Israel does not have any animosity towards the irregular Iranian people. It's just the regime that's a problem and that he understands that about 96% of Iran lives under the threat of drought or existing drought. And he is willing to give Israeli water irrigation technology to the Iranian people for free. And how is he going to do that? He set up a Farsi website. Israel set up a Farsi website that they can get to if Iran doesn't block it, which I'm sure they're working very hard to do. Now, again, is that your top story today? Even if you're very interested in Israel, maybe not. But the thing is, it's a great story. It's a great soundbite. Prime Minister Netanyahu delivered the address in both Hebrew and English, folks. So you can make a little soundbite for yourselves, both for radio and television. You have the video of him drinking the water from the pitcher, which is kind of a nice touch. And it's a great thought-provoking story. Maybe this is the way we need to handle the hostile countries of the world, the Irans, the Russias, the North Koreas. Maybe we find a way now via the Internet, which, again, is a big part of my discussion today. The Internet has changed everything for the news media. Maybe we use the internet to start directly making our case to the people of these countries and letting them know what they're missing because of their regime and what we're willing to do. And also making it clear that we are not looking for war. We don't want to bomb any of these countries. It'd be great if they could just get rid of these leaders. And I'm not saying it's going to be nonviolent, but uh, let's say there's 30 leaders that need to be eliminated. Well, you know, certainly not supporting the death of 30 people in a coup when maybe they could do it without deaths of 30 people, but 30 is better than 30,000. I mean, come on, let's, let's start being adults here. And I don't think that the news media is, is set up to do that. So again, you know, whether it's a story about Israel and the territories, whether it's this F-35 story, whether it's the Saudi Arabian rapprochement, whether it's this water offer, the news media in America is just too intellectually lazy to cover these stories with any real strength, with any real timeliness. They just won't do it. And it's not just because you have animosity towards Israel in those newsrooms. And there is animosity in those newsrooms towards Israel. I don't think it's as pronounced as we might fear it is. But what does it matter? If they're unable to cover the stories accurately and fairly towards Israel, the problem is the same. Now, again, this goes beyond Israel, folks. 
because there were some other stories this week that really hit me in the face as another example of why America's news media as it is today is really falling, falling far behind and is unable to do what even it says it wants to do. And let me give you an example from Friday. I'm trying to be very, very current here. This is a live show here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Novak Now is live every Monday at 11 a.m. And we're trying to be live here. So this app, something happened on Friday. On Friday, as you know, the famed television chef and, and cultural traveler, Anthony Bourdain, died, took his own life. Tragic story. And that news came out just for our scorecard possibilities here. He, he passed away and the announcement came around 6.55 a.m. So at 6.55 a.m., which is a pretty big time as you get into the, the national news cycle for the morning, that's, you know, the Good Morning Americas and Today shows are about to go on live with their main shows. I know, I know they have shows even earlier, but 7 a.m. is the big moment. A lot of people tune into the news at that time. And for the most part, I think the 7 a.m. news organizations were able to get that story out there. And from 7 a.m. on... The news organizations in this country are busting their butts. Again, when I say they're lazy, I don't mean they're physically lazy. They're busting their butts to get video of Anthony Bourdain. They're busting their butts to book guests who can talk about Anthony Bourdain, not only about him personally, but also about the issue of suicide. They're working very hard to do all of those things. Here's the problem. The news doesn't stop. The rest of the news doesn't stop just because Anthony Bourdain died. And what we've had in news are two things happening. We've had a real issue here where every story has to be covered from so many multiple angles that it's hard to get anything else on. And the second thing that's happened is, is the result of that. You've had a much, much larger number of hours that don't have many stories on them. Let me say that in better English. You have a reduced number of stories in any given hour in American television, in American radio. There's not as high a story account. When I got into this news business 25 years ago or so, the holy grail was keep your story count up. In a half-hour news show, they wanted us to get 20, 25 stories in. I kid you not. And if you didn't, you had to answer to the bosses. Now, I don't know if that's the best way to go, but I can tell you one thing. One story in an entire hour, unless it's a really developing story, breaking news story with live cameras on an event that's unfolding, think things like the OJ chase or a major hurricane or something like that. Unless that's the case, one story in an hour, which is what I'm seeing more and more often on the CNNs and MSNBCs and Foxes and even on the radio, that one story in an hour is a disgrace. You can't do that. I know it's, you want to get that big story out there and you think that that's the only way to get people's attention, but it isn't. And I'll give you the example that happened on Friday. So again, Anthony Bourdain pronounced, uh, the, I wouldn't say he was pronounced it at 6.55, but the announcement comes on. The announcement comes over the wire at 6.55 a.m. Eastern time. About four hours later, President Trump is on his way to the G77 in Canada, and he's getting into Marine One. You've seen the scene many times of the president with the helicopter rotors moving, and the president has to, you know, not just this president, but every president has to sort of shout to be heard. The whole thing happens. It's like that impromptu news conference that almost every president gives once, once or twice uh, in any given month. And President Trump says something really interesting especially if you're a news organization. He says he's leaning heavily towards ending the federal ban on marijuana use. Kind of a big story, no? Let me add a little something even more to the importance of that story. Every news organization in America, and I'm not giving away anything here, in their backroom meetings, talks about how desperate they are for viewers in what's known as the demo. It's short for demographic. They need viewers between the ages of 25 and 54. That is the sweet spot for news. 
The 18 to 35 demo news organizations gave up on a long time ago. 18 to 25 year olds, they don't get. And since 18 to 25 is the chunk of 18 to 35, they don't look at that one. 25 to 54 is the key demo. That is a key demo. Now, let me just ask you all a question. Do you think that the legalization of marijuana and the chance of the president talking about legalizing it would be a big story for the 25 to 54 year old set? Do you think it might just be even be a bigger story than the death of Anthony Bourdain, as popular as he may have been among some of those people? I don't even think there's a question. Now, if you want to argue that didn't deserve to be a, a top the, the top story, all right. I think after 11 a.m. it was a top story, the top story. But certainly it's one of the top stories. And yet, as I looked at news organization after news organization, flipped channel to channel, looked at website to website, I couldn't find the story other than a quick wire copy on the AP. The LA Times had it on their front page for a very brief time. Then they took it off for some reason. I thought maybe they were going to issue a correction. That was not the case. They just took it off. And here was a story catered perfectly, catered, ready-made for that 25 to 54 demo, and they don't even run it. Why? Is it because they aren't interested in marijuana legalization? Don't fool yourself. Of course they're interested in it. That's a big story. When I was doing financial news for a living, every single time there was a story about some kind of marijuana business that might go public, I mean, that was a big story. We did it. We sent reporters to cover it. It's a big story. We know it gets attention. You'll take a look at some of the financial news networks. They do primetime specials on the marijuana business all the time. All right. And one of the problems that those businesses have is that they can't have full access to the federal banking system. So, of course, this ending this federal ban would end that. It would be a huge boost to these companies. And just so you don't think I'm making this up, one of the companies that is publicly traded now that is considered to be the number one <laughs> beneficiary of any news, any legalization of marijuana anywhere in the country is you're going to laugh. Scott's miracle Grow. And I mean, I think it's kind of funny because you don't really necessarily associate Scott's with with the marijuana use. But think about it. it you need their you need that kind of stuff that they make to make the seeds grow. OK, in the end, it's still uh, agriculture. In the end, it's still botany. And sure enough, Scott's miracle Grow on a day when the markets went up just barely on Friday and really a small rally, less than 100 points. Scott's miracle Grow went up almost 2 percent, which is a big jump. You know, any any jump of a percent or more for an individual stock, especially an old school company like Scott's miracle Grow. Uh, it was a big deal. So clearly the, the, the financial world knew that this was a big story. You know, put your money where your mouth is. They certainly did that. But they just weren't able to do it. Now, did some of that have to do with some anti-Trump bias where some of those news directors and producers and editors and newspapers thinking, boy, this is going to make Trump look hip. Uh, we hate Trump. And if he comes out in favor of marijuana, we want to sit on that story. There may have been some of that in there. I'm not going to be naive enough to say that wasn't part of the reasoning that they kind of killed that story. But I'm, I can't go there totally. And I'll tell you why, because I just, I've been in the news business for too long and I know exactly what happened. Hap what happened was the TV networks had built their rundowns already. The newspapers had already decided that this was going to be their focus today, the Anthony Bourdain story. And it was just too intellectually difficult. They're just too lazy to change. They won't rip up their rundowns. They won't change their editorial out outlooks for the day if they don't have to. And so they don't. And so when Israel does something that's out of their expected purview, they won't change it. They won't talk about the Saudi changes, even, even months after they happen. They won't talk about the F-35 story. They won't do the water story. It's too far. It's too far afield for them. And that leads them to this place, the place where social media, especially Twitter, is eating them for lunch, is just eating them for lunch. So the first way they're eating them, a place like Twitter is eating them for lunch 
is obvious based on what I've just said. Twitter can get these stories out quickly. They don't have to change a rundown. They can just get 140 characters or a little bit more onto a block and get it out there quickly. And it can be out there. And it doesn't have to be a news organization. It can be any citizen journalist deciding to put the story out there. And yes, there are credibility issues with that, et cetera, et cetera. I understand that. But the story gets out there. And if you're somebody who's really on the go, who really doesn't want to wait until 7, 8, 9 p.m. to get their news for the day, doesn't want to have to wait to the top of the hour, doesn't want to have to hope that the news organizations have decided to pivot from a story, then Twitter's the place to go. And when I found myself, when I was still working full-time producing, going to Twitter more and more often and to people on Twitter who I trusted and knew I could trust more than I was going to established networks and wire copy, then that's when I knew there was a big problem for this news organization, for the news organizations of the world. And they do have a big problem. And the funny thing about it is that the only thing that they've copied from Twitter are some of the bad things about Twitter. Because, you know, when people post stories on Twitter and also on Facebook, almost always they'll add a little bit of an editorial comment on it, which is certainly, listen, I wrote editorials and I continue to write editorials. I love editorial commentary and I like opinion. I certainly do. But when the story is breaking, keep that out of there. Keep it out of the headline. And what I'm seeing more and more because of Twitter, because of the Twitter influence on television, radio, and the newspapers is Twitter-like headlines. Headlines that include an opinion. Headlines that tell you what to think. Headlines that just like act as if they're a little bit of a kickoff point before you post a link down at the bottom of your, of your post on Twitter or Facebook. And the news organizations are doing, that, are doing that. But what they're not copying from Twitter is that agility, that ability to move quickly, the ability to change their lead, to be able to talk about something else and move on. That they're not copying. The other thing they're not copying from Twitter is, boy, let me tell you something. If you even have a relatively small Twitter following, you know what I'm talking about. If you post a story on Twitter, folks, or anything on Twitter, you better be ready for the criticism. You're going to get slammed. You're going to get called every name in the book. And people who will agree with you are, unfortunately, tend to be a lot quieter than those who disagree with you. So you're going to get hit. You're going to get nailed with some of that stuff. And you just better be ready for it. And if you're not ready for it, then you shouldn't be on Twitter. And I got to tell you something. I have rarely met professionals in any profession who are more thin-skinned than, than journalists and anchor people and radio folks. I mean, just look at the way they react every time President Trump criticizes them. They make it sound like this is the end of the world. The president has criticized the news media. How horrible. Now, a lot of us have focused on the fact that President Obama made similar attacks and wiretapped my friend James Rosen, James Rosen and made other attacks on the AP and they're, we're all obsessed with the fact that President Obama did the same thing and actually did much worse than President Trump. But that's not only the place to look. Look at how thin-skinned these people in the news media are. Folks, I know doctors and lawyers who went to school for years to get into their profession, and they understand that they have to go under bar review. And the doctors understand at every hospital that when somebody dies, there has to be a special conference where they go over the facts of the case. And they don't say, this is the end of medicine, and how dare you charge me with anything or, or, even, or even look into something. They don't do that. That's not something that makes you professional. It makes you unprofessional. And if only the news media would take that, that aspect of Twitter, understanding that they're going to get slammed and just roll with it and know that it's more important to get your story out there. If only they did that, that would be very nice. But they don't. They don't do that. And so we're stuck in this situation right now where not only is Israel covered unfairly, but this president is covered unfairly. And, all the new, and forget about whether you are. You might hate this president and you might even hate Israel. I hope you don't. But even if you do feel that way, I have to tell you, you're not getting your news in the timely and good way. And it's again, it's because of laziness, not physical laziness, not physical laziness, 
but the laziness of intellectualism. They are not intellectually working hard enough to change them, change the way that they do news, and to be able to change their little rundowns and the mold that they pour every single day to fix what they're going to do in news. They're just not willing to do it. And we saw that so very strikingly on Friday. And don't get me wrong, I think the Anthony Bourdain death was definitely a top story and definitely one of those big stories that definitely should not have gone off the front page the next day or even at the end of the evening. I, I, of course not. I'm not, I'm not uh, belittling Anthony Bourdain and the coverage of Anthony Bourdain or earlier in the week Kate Spade or any of these. I'm not belittling that. There were some terrible ethical problems in the way they were covered and we can talk about that another time. But what I am saying is after a while, it's no longer the top story. And news organizations in America, not only are they shortchanging Israel and shortchanging the customer, they are shortchanging themselves. And I sure hope here on Novak Now and the Nachum Siegel Network, I'm not doing that. It's one of the reasons why we go live and one of the reasons why I have already changed the topics of these shows, sometimes within 20 minutes of airtime, just to make sure that you get actual information and that I can somehow maybe even compete with Twitter. This has been Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak. I'll be back with you next week on the Nachum Siegel Network. Remember, folks, the news is always changing. Don't let laziness get in the way.